just beat my cap. I thought somebody stole it. <laughs> I had a little trouble with all this stuff about thanking this person and that person. I, I like it really. When I think that through the grace of God, the power that's in Alcoholics Anonymous and mean sponsorship. That's what I'm doing. <laughs> I come from Blythe, uh, California. You all know where that's at, don't you? Hmm? That's where God sends you when he's punishing you for, for asking for stuff. That's where Blythe is. And the reason I'm in Blythe is because there's a man in Blythe. That's why I'm in Blythe. And he's just a great guy. We're both dedicated to making me happy. And, uh, I've got him convinced he never had it so good in a woman's places in the mall. <laughs> If he croaks tomorrow, I'm out of there tomorrow night. <laughs> That's what I'm doing in Blythe. <laughs> and I belong in Alcoholics Anonymous. As you could see, I'm the person, it saddens me to tell you that I'm the person with the longest time here. Because if you're looking up for me for direction, you're in trouble. <laughs> The people that I sponsor say, say that I am that type of sponsor that bayonets the wounded. <laughs> Other than that, I'm not violent anymore. In case you didn't know, I'm a Mexican. I was born and raised in a little barrio in Orange County, California. You all know what a barrio is? It's a little Mexican community. In the days when I was raised there, we didn't let any Anglos in, and they weren't too anxious to come in there either. <laughs> born into a generation. Uh, I was really born a long time ago. I'm a young person in an old container. I was, I was, I was raised in this barrio a long time ago, and you know, we Mexicans, we like to have fun. We, uh, we, I was in a generation where we joined the gangs and beat each other up, and we call it fun. And I think we're still doing it, except I got a little old for that. And um, the spirit's still there, though. There's always the potential. <laughs> and we, we are the type of, we were the type of people that drank all weekend long. And we didn't have any fun until they, unless there were knifings and shootings and the cops came there several times. That's when we had fun. So other than that, I had a very normal, nice time. <laughs> I was born into a family that it wasn't ready for me then and isn't ready for me now. I told you I was born a long time ago when they kept the mothers in the hospital a whole week. And when they came home with this baby, they still didn't have a name for me. And the reason for that is because my daddy wanted to name me after his girlfriend and my mother's narrow-minded. <laughs> my mother was of the little purple lip variety. She didn't have little blue lips because she's a Mexican. She got a little purple lips. And my father, he just liked all the girls. He, he was, I mean, he wasn't nothing wrong with him. He was just an alcoholic. A little normal for the way I was raised in. And um, I had an older sister that was perfect. You know the type I'm talking about. They always told her what to do, and she always did it right, and she screwed it up for me. Because I never remembered how to be good until after I was bad. And they're always whipping on me. I don't know I'm a, a, a better child. I thought I was just being bad. That's why I got whipped. 
He might have known I was a battered child. I had I held it against them guys. I held everything else against them. <laughs> and I had a younger brother, and you know who I got even with. I started having a little trouble with with males since then. Uh, it's their fault. Uh, and um, they were divorced when I was about seven, and my mother would say things to me like, you're just like your father. And I knew what her opinion was of him. She didn't like him too well. So she would send me to the nuns so they could teach me to be a lady. And what the nuns thought was a lady wasn't appealing to me then, and it isn't appealing to me now. <laughs> uh, because not only did I not know how, how to be good, but as soon as they said, thou shalt not. I may not have thought of doing it before, but as soon as they said, thou shalt not, I had an overwhelming desire to do it. And I, I couldn't get it out of my mind till I did it. And somebody dared me, and I raised the nun's skirts to see what she wore under all them clothes, and they 86 me from catechism. <laughs> I got home, got my whip, and I was always an embarrassment to them people. And, uh, but the next day when I got to school, all the kids thought I was terrific. Me that had always felt invisible, here I was with all this attention, and I loved it. Because you see, me, I was born with an emptiness in my soul. There was always, as far as back as I can remember, a hunger, a longing, a yearning, to be loved, to be, be accepted, to fit in somewhere, for God's sake. As a little child, I used to worship my mother and ached. It seems that most of my life, I had this hunger to be loved, that I would give my heart to anybody that would take it. You see, but I knew that there was something terribly wrong with me as far back as I can remember. The first thing I ever remember in a recollection in my life is, uh, uh, I was so little, I used to look at people's knees, and, and we didn't have much. We were, uh, I was a, a depression uh, baby, and uh, the first recollection that I have is that th there was a lot of grown people there, and the ice cream man came, and everybody got an ice cream, and my mother took half of mine. And what I did is I let that sucker melt bef between my fingers before uh, I would eat it, because I wanted mine. I always wanted mine. And I never felt like I got mine. And I used to sit in a corner and hug myself and wail like a wounded animal because something was wrong with me. So when I got all to school and I got all that attention, it filled up some of them empty places. And I truly believe I always had the pilot lit. All I ever needed was a fuel. Uh, my mother remarried a man that was getting funny and uh, you know what I'm talking about. <coughs> he was uh, uh, trying to get funny with me and uh, I went to her and I said, uh, this is what's going on. And she said, you lie, you always lie. You don't like him and you're lying. And uh, you, I can't tell you how lonely that was to feel like a feather in the wind uh, that nobody wants around. I was always told that I didn't belong anywhere, that I would never belong anywhere. I think that good things and good were said to me and that I had some happy experiences in my childhood. But you see, the type of a person that I am, I never remembered that because it seemed that it was only the rejection. It was only the unkind, rejecting words that I heard that I hugged to me and called reality, don't you know? 
when I was, uh, oh, I guess close to 12 years old, I started uh, r running into fairy tale books. Uh, running to the library and getting into books and getting home and pulling the cover over my head and just fantasizing. That's the way I could survive inside of me because I ain't drinking yet. And I used to think if I could only get to my daddy, I knew everything going to be all right over at my daddy's. Now, my daddy was over in the San Fernando Valley, which is about 60 miles from where I was raised. And, and he took up lighthouse keeping with a lady with eight kids. And, and all he wants is one more, right? And here I go uh, to be living happily ever after with my daddy. Now, my daddy used to take people up north to pick grapes and prunes. And we were fruit pickers. And God made two kinds of Mexicans, that's fruit pickers and non-fruit pickers. <laughs> and I'm not a fruit picker, and it uh, didn't take. Um, in fact, my, my husband knows how lazy I am. I just, I think it's called sloth. I don't know. I just think it's uh, meditating. And, um, and he says if he ever feels like he's going to croak, He's going to run to the freeway and eat a truck so I can get double indemnity on his insurance. Huh? <laughs> Do not despair, girls. Do not despair. I had to kiss a hundred, to a thousand toads before one turned into a prince. Actually, what I did is I kissed them as princes and turned them into toads. And uh, the one toad I kissed turned into a prince. I don't know how that happened today. Anyway. I went up to be with my daddy and we stayed beyond the season with the Gallo brothers and they gave my dad a case of sherry wine and somebody must have said thou shalt not I remember having a big water glass a sherry wine and when it went down it went boom it felt like I put my finger in the light socket everything so wonderful I said, whoa! <laughs> it's just too bad something that good has to be wasted on social drinkers that don't appreciate it. <laughs> I mean, I appreciated it. I, I knew that all I ever felt in my whole life was feel like I felt that moment. And that's all I ever really wanted to feel that way. And you know, I'm a, I'm a thinker. I think I always want to live in the solution. And I think if this one feels that way, I know the next one's going to be better. <laughs> I know how you are, but I overshot the goal real fast. <laughs> I came to the next day, and you know, I'm from the Pachuco days when we used to wear them big hairdos. I come too with all that hair done. <laughs> Where I threw up all over myself, and what can I tell you? Uh, um, I came to with a sense of shame, of feeling dirty, a sense of shame that was so deep that I looked at people's eyes, trying to figure out what I had done, terrified to know and terrified not to know, you see? And that's the way it was with me. And I know I can never tell anybody how I feel because they're going to look at me with that disgust and contempt that people sooner or later looked at me. Now, I'm just a child. I'm not quite 13 years old. And I come back with my mother because I knew it wasn't any different over there. I was always looking for somebody to have the solution for me. 
And my mother said that I was incorrigible and they'd been free of me over a year and they did not want me back. I remember having a knot this big in my throat and saying, I don't care, I don't give a damn, but I cared because all I wanted was to have her put her arms around me and she'll tell me that she loved me. And I started doing, I don't think anything much different than the kids are doing today except I didn't live in the street, I lived here and there with anybody that would take me in for a little while and people would take me in for a little while because they felt sorry for me. And this is the time when I discovered the booze and the boys and the cha-cha-cha. <laughs> God, I love the booze and the boys and the cha-cha-cha. I was always very popular with the boys. The girls didn't care much for me. <laughs> I'm just a child. I don't know how to work. I do babysitting. That's how I work. So I take up burglary. It seemed to be a good idea at the time. I was really not a bad person. It's just that your things were always much more interesting than mine, and I believe in you, share. And uh, I really was surprised when the state of California discovered me. They didn't understand that my case was different. They took me before a judge, and they said my mother and all the mother purple lip relatives, and they were looking at me with that, I told you so, I told you so, and a, and a triumphal look in their, in their eyes. When the judge asked me, what young lady, well, young lady, what do you think we ought to do with you? Well, I'm slick, hip, and cool, and I had my, my khaki shirt in those days, that was the style. We wore fatigue pants, you know, always been a little broad around the beam. But I wore them fatigue pants with your hands in your pocket and an uh, army shirt with a tie, smoked cigars, and I, and I uh, sat in that chair and the judge asked me that dumb question. I put my collar off and I said, well, you're the judge, man. You ought to know. <laughs> there, was, there was the wrong person to have that kind of an attitude. He sent me and my attitude to do a little bit of time for the state of California. And, uh, I hadn't planned that one. <laughs> By this time, I was just barely, I was locked up and I turned 18 and I was supposed to do uh, nine months because uh, it's the first time, my first offense, and just barely made it to the girls' reformatory. And uh, when uh, they finally d let me out, I did 13 months. Because uh, I'm a walking bust, I got caught at everything that I ever do. And nobody, everybody wants to play poker with me because they always know how, how I play because they can tell it in my face. Other than that, I have a real poker face. And um, <laughs> when they finally let me out, I took my very first real inventory. I don't have a job, I don't have an education, I don't have a home. Uh, and uh, I'm thinking, and uh, what an order, I can't go through with it. I'd better go out find me a husband because God knows I need somebody to take care of me. And I went and looked for a husband in places that husbands are not to be looked for. And unfortunately for both of us, I found one. There's usually the kind of men always caught my attention. Usually they wear real tight t-shirts, got big muscles, they walk with a little slouch and they got tattoos and it usually says mother and born to lose and... <laughs> They walk with a little slouch and they got wavy hair, grease back, got a smile on their face, all teeth and shiny eyes and they say, what's happening, baby? I used to think that Luke was charisma. Today I know it to be psychosis.
My sponsor says you can't make chicken salad out of chicken shit. But we tried. I tell you, we tried. He was a mainline heroin user, and he built them castles in the air, and three months later, we were pregnant, and I was married in that order. And he has an idea of what a good Mexican wife should be, and I have an idea of what a good Mexican husband should be, and never the twain shall meet. And we both got scars to prove it. Now, he starts hearing stories about his wife and them bars and how she behaves, and he don't want me to drink. Well, I'm trying to be a good wife. I don't want to drink either. But when I stay home, I don't stay home silently. He don't like for me to talk that way about his mother or <laughs> his lack of father or who his father really is. And, and he always says things to me like, if you don't shut up, I'm going to hit you. And that really smacks to me about thou shalt not. So I always jumped in first. I always uh, lost every battle, but because I don't know, I just never got it, I guess. And, uh, can't do the same things over and over again, expect different results. But So he knows that, that he can't keep me uh, down for long, so he introduces me to little white pills with crosses on them. I don't know what they are, but I sure knew what they did to me. I had one eyeball over there and one over there, and I'd make baby clothes all night long. I don't think I ever knew which it was I was doing, but I had more fun with, with them baby clothes and smoking cigarettes, uh, <laughs> chewing gum, drinking coffee, singing with a mariachi, cleaning, cleaning your house with a toothbrush all at once. <laughs> After three days and three nights of this, I'd say, for God's sakes, all I want to do is lay down and my brain would say, get up, let's go have fun. And oh, geez, I got real tired. And so then, <laughs> once I started uppers, I had to take downers. And but nothing like that ever worked for me. I had to use whatever alcohol was working at the time because that would be the balancer. Now I found the cure to alcohol. Because I always was afraid of them blackouts. So, you know, I, there used to be some bumper stickers that used to say, I found it. Man, I found it. There isn't any feeling like being uh, pulled in all directions at once. You see, you never have to think and you never have to feel. You see, that's all I wanted. Because, you see, some, when sometimes in between there and the madness would descend upon me, the terror would come with it. By the time I had my baby, I realized this man didn't want to be married. And I figured out he didn't want to be married to me. When they put that baby in my arms, my heart sang. I felt like finally, finally, somebody belongs to me. She belonged to me, and nobody had ever belonged to me. And I promised my baby that I would never beat her, abandon her, and discard her as I had been. And I meant it with every fiber of my being, you see. I love my baby. She inspired feelings within me that never, nobody had ever since, it has ever since or before. But I'm a child in a woman's body, and I'm an alcoholic, and I am a woman alcoholic. And when I drink, I have absolutely no choices and no rights. When I drink, I'm gonna do what's in front of me to do because it's there to do. I don't know about tomorrow and prices. All I ever want is to feel good and never think and never feel any pain. And all I really, I didn't want to be an alcoholic. One day at a time I went into literal hell. 
And all I wanted was somebody to love me and take care of me. I'm a little corner in some, some barrio with a tortilla smells and then chilada smells and the slippers and the little kitties at five o'clock. But it wasn't to be with this dolphin and I because we don't know how to be. After the first one was born, right away I had like nine months and nine minutes. It seemed to me I was actually a year apart. I had another baby. And you know, the first one was a lot of fun and it was a lot of like having a new toy. But the second one was a, was a huge noose around my neck because I felt so trapped. And so what I did is I started planning. I'm one that believes in plan B. And uh, so before I, I kicked this man out, but before I kicked him out, I had another one already planned out. And because uh, this little guy wasn't working out, so I had another one lined up. And he, he uh, his name was Danny, but they called him CB, and that was short for crazy bastard. So you know, I, <laughs> but I fell in love. And when I fall in love, I fall in love all over my body. I can't remember the names of some of the men I've fallen in love with. It's a face that's changed, the feelings that stay the same. This time it's going to be different. This one's different. And what I did is I spent five years as an unprotected bar drinking woman. And I know the feeling of degradation and self-loathing that a woman alcoholic uh, goes through, which is unprotected and she drinks in bars. And I got tired of coming to in strange places with strange people and I can't seem to get off of this merry-go-round about uppers and downers and uh, booze and uh, cra just crazy insanity. What do I tell you? What do I tell you about the disease of alcoholism? The, one of the things that I can tell you is that I didn't come here by myself. I brought, brought two little girls that the romance of being a mother had long since died and the responsibility for them choked me. Where I would come too many times and I would come home, stagger home, and uh, pass out and come to before I was ready. And my children had the big eyes. They were children of alcoholics. They have an alcoholic woman, and they didn't know how to argue. They didn't know how to fight because they sat with the big eyes. They were terrified all the time. They were afraid of bringing, the monster would come to. And when I would come to before I was ready, I would start screaming and yelling. And then I would start hitting. Once I started hitting, I wouldn't stop and I couldn't stop until there was blood and tears and screams from my babies. And when a semblance of sanity would return and I would see what I had done to those little girls, I died inside. I died and this is the ugly side of my disease. And even the forgiveness for this a tremendous guilt has come. There's always been the regret when I go through the pictures of what I did to those little girls, you see. But it takes what it takes. You and I didn't wake up one morning and say, I, will think, I think I'll go to Alcoholics Anonymous to change my life. It's just that I couldn't stand to live inside of me. That's what brought me here. And I'm always looking for answers. And, and my husband who was someplace in Texas getting the care, wrote letters home and says, babes, this time it's going to be different. And I'm clutching at another straw. We made the Mexican Geographic. We moved about 20 miles from Mama. Now Blythe has been called the armpit of California. By my experience in a little town by the name of Mariloma by Riverside is another part of the anatomy not worth mentioning. At least, at least my experience was that. Because gone were the bars and gone were the booze and the boys and the cha-cha-cha. This time is going to be different. 
and we we're going to clean up and straighten up. We bought a little ranch, and, well, one acre's a ranch for us, and, and turkeys and chickens and horses, and we were going to be farmers, this Dauphin and I. And I'm a firm believer you can place me in the best of circumstances, but sooner or later I have to create whatever is inside of me because it's inside of me that that madness lives, don't you know? And it wasn't long before he started making the run to Orange County to his connection. And, and the be best thing I can say about Miraloma, it's in the middle of four wineries, and we're close to Cucamonga. In case you don't know who, where Cucamonga is, it's wine country south. But the wine I think I was drinking never saw the grape, but it did, it did the job, and I made the run. I don't know what kind of a run you did, but I'll tell you the run that I made. I would buy five gallons and go home and go to bed. That's what I did. I don't know what happened, but all the love and all the romance were not a drinking, and all I could feel was the madness. I got to the point in my drinking that I drank and I drank and I drank and my body was drunk and my mind was in agony. No matter what poison I put inside of me, it would not take it away anymore. And I couldn't stand to live inside of this body anymore. And I started looking for answers. I started looking for answers in places that people had always said answers were. And that's, I went, to, I read the Bible. I, ha I still have that Bible. It's, it's red stained from the wine, but it's the Bible that I read. And I went to churches. I went different kinds of churches. I, I've studied with churches that have been sprinkled down from father flower petals. And, and I, there was even some that the, some guy would stand up here and say, who wants to be saved? And I ran down the aisle to get saved. I was always going to get mine. You can be first after me, but I'm getting mine. <laughs> and I always got saved, and I felt, I felt good and felt saved. And then I would go home. And God and the madness would be back. And I did this over and over and over again. And I just got weary and I just got tired. And I waited until this man was home one day and I told him I was going to kill myself. And I had saved my sleeping pills so that I could have enough to kill myself. You see, I, I could not stand blood, especially mine. And uh, so I took enough. Uh, and he said, okay. And so I went. We went back to watching television, and I went and took a bath and cleaned my house and threw away the dirty clothes. And you know how you do just in case I died, they wouldn't know how I lived. And uh, <laughs> not that anybody cared. By this time, I had pushed away everybody out of my life because you see, they couldn't stand my my mouth, and uh, I couldn't stand their presence, their guilt of not being able to be like they wanted me to be. So I went to bed to die, and I wasn't, I was tired. That's the old, I don't know whether I wanted to die, I just was so tired. And when I came to a couple of days later, I wasn't glad to be alive. I was enraged. I couldn't drink, and I couldn't be sober, and I couldn't live, and I couldn't even kill myself. I came to what has got to be the loneliest day of my life, when I knew that nobody cared whether <coughs> I lived or died, not even me. This man had been in bed with me both those nights, well, I was in that coma, and never once did he consider taking me to a doctor or to a hospital. And I sunk into a pit of not knowing where to turn. I look upon that day years later and realize that my higher power has always had his hand upon my life, even upon that day. You see, that very day there was a knock on the door. Is a lady from the PTA. If there's somebody I didn't want to see, is a lady from the PTA. <laughs> 
But there stood Mrs. Clean and said, Hi! I must have been downwind from her because she says, What is wrong? <laughs> you know, I'd been sleeping in what I was wearing for days, and uh, sometimes I made it to the bathroom, and sometimes I didn't. And in a moment of weakness, I let her in, and I told her my tale of woe about this SOB and how he promised me so much. And I didn't call him an SOB because that's not what I use, but since I'm being spiritual tonight. And, uh, <laughs> I told her about how he promised me all this stuff again and how he lied to me one more time. And I was a gopher. I went for it, for it and he did me one. And she stayed with me and she listened to me and she cleaned me up. And, and I don't know about you guys, but I, I'm the type of person that knows when I've talked too much. They get a certain look in their face and something in me says, uh-oh. And she asked me if I ever heard I Al-Anon. I'd never heard I Al-Anon. But she, somehow she convinced me that if I went there, he would straighten it up. And I always knew if he would straighten up, I could, you see. And so she cleaned me up and took me to Al-Anon. And uh, somehow I didn't fit in in Al-Anon. Um, <laughs> I felt a little bit like a whorewood in a nunnery. There was absolutely no identification between me and them square broads, but they hugged me. I couldn't believe it. Them, them nice, clean ladies hugged me. And I didn't say anything. I just smiled at them. Sometime in the past, somebody had said I had a beautiful smile, probably some guy that wanted more in my smile. And uh, so I gave him one of my, my, one of my beautiful smile I gave him one of those the, the lights are on but there's nobody home smile <laughs> and after a while she comes and gets me I don't even want to go I don't hear nothing except I get tired of being nice and then one day I heard the word release so I went home and told him in detail how, how I used to how I was going to release him now I couldn't divorce him I had married him in the Catholic Church a second time and uh, um, you don't get a divorce when you're married in the Catholic Church because you know for sure you're going to go to hell. But I used to contemplate justifiable homicide. So I would told him I was going to release him. And he used to sleep in a rollaway bed in the front room with a knife under the pillow and his clothes on. And I'd sit in the corner with a big black coat on and watch him. When he'd be a dozy enough, I'd go take a little peek at him and he'd go, oh, that, that, that felt so good to me. It was almost sexual. He went just like And he, he would say unkind things to me. He'd say, baby, I may have a monkey on my bed, but you got an orangutan. I thought, how dare he? He was so bad, he made me look good. And because bad luck comes in bunches, it was, it was at that time they kicked me out of Al-Anon. And what they did is they designated this poor soul that had inflicted me upon them to throw me away to their husbands who they didn't like either. And, uh, you know, and many times I, I like to tell you at this time that even though I did not feel a part of the ladies in Al-Anon, I never felt a part of any ladies, you see. And, uh, uh, but I know today, looking back, them elements kept me. I'd have never come to alcoholics. I'd never heard that before and never knew that there was answers for the likes of me. 
And so she and she had been in defense of Alanon. She'd only been in Alanon for three months. And when she heard my pain, she wanted some answers for me. You see. And so she she was designated to take me to an AA meeting. And she came and got me, and I knew they were going to throw me away. And uh, she took me to an old dilapidated house in Pomona, about half hour drive from Miraloma. It's an old dilapidated old house, and they took me around the back because I'm a Mexican, that's why they're taking me around. <laughs> and they take me through the kitchen where all the Alanons are standing there, uh, way, doing whatever Alanons do in the kitchen. And uh, they walk me right through the Alanons, and I'm not looking at their eyes. I'm not going to give them the satisfaction of me seeing the contempt and disgust that I know I'm going to see. Them. I just look at my feet, and I walk through them and listened to the sounds of Alcoholics Anonymous. The very first thing that attracted me to you was the music of Alcoholics Anonymous. I, there's music and there's words here, and I don't know the words. I just know from the moment I walked in with you, I loved how I felt when I was with you guys. You see, I knew there was something here. I heard that belly laughter, that smile that reaches the soul, that shine in the eyes, and that happy talk. Those are the sounds of Alcoholics Anonymous. And my soul was touched from somewhere in there, underneath all that madness. And you come or if you be lucky like me, I just sat there and let it wash over my soul and hungered for it, and I wanted it. I often wondered what is it that happens in this room when you and I come together. And it came to me one day, and I consider it a spiritual experience, when I realized that these are just empty rooms. That which happens in here, we bring it with us, every one of us. And it becomes a group conscience, a higher power. You call it whatever you want. But there's a dynamic something when you and I come together that has never happened to me anyplace else. I just thought, it's too bad I'm not an alcoholic. <laughs> if there's another name for the disease that you and I have, it's called I ain't got it. <laughs> now I know I'm weird and I know I'm different and I'm about two steps ahead with a uh, the man with a butterfly net and, and uh, uh, my mother will tell you I was always weird and, and different and, and I w that was much more acceptable to me, you see. I thought I had, uh, I had used to be an alcoholic, but I cured it with Benzedrine. And that's, that was but I loved how I felt when I was with you. And I looked around at all them sober, single, good-looking young guys, and I said, I'm going to get me one of those. <laughs> and I did. It was the sickest one there had to be. I got radar. And it takes what it takes, and that's what it took for me. My higher power knew what would catch my attention. And you know, these clean, beautiful people put their arm around me and said the most important things, words I've ever heard. They said, keep coming back. Do you know what that feels like when you used to people saying, saying keep on going weirdo? What a disappointment it was to me when I found out you were telling that to everybody. I just <laughs> Came around as a visitor in Alcoholics Anonymous for 10 months in Pomona. In those days, they used to go around the room. Everybody gave their name. When it came to me, I'd say, I'm Angie, and I'm a visitor. I ain't telling them I'm an Alan, and they kicked me out of Alan. And I'm not an alcoholic or else. I'm honest. I'll tell. I've always been honest. I'll tell you the truth. 
Other than that, I don't suffer from self-delusion. And um, so even though I came for all the, all the wrong reasons, I started feeling a little guilty. So I stopped drinking and I doubled up in the Milltowns and Benzedrine. And this guy wants to get rid of me. This is the end of side one. Please turn the tape over and continue to play on side two. And don't like to be killed or threatened to if they're sober. And so he wants to get rid of me, and I'm not easy to get rid of because I didn't have a backup. And so I moved, <laughs> I moved to Pomona to be closer to the action. And there was this cute little boy talking. He just got out of the reformatory. And he, he's saying he don't have a girlfriend, he don't have a surfboard, and he don't have a car. He had big blue eyes and blonde hair, and I, I have an affinity for blue eyes and blonde hair. It is now blue eyes and gray hair at time she marches on. And, uh, and so I said, come your little boy, I'll take care of you. <laughs> I did. And he don't know what hit him. He thought a truck hit him. But you know, we all have a purpose in life. After that relationship was over, he decided to become a minister. And I'd like to think that somehow, in my small way, I got pushing over to him. I educated this young man on sick broads. I don't like women, and I don't trust men. And they don't leave you much. And even though I've been coming here for a while, I never heard about the word withdrawal. All I ever heard was keep coming back, live happily ever after, and I too will be laughing and saying I never had it so good. You didn't tell me about the anxiety attacks. You didn't tell me about walking them streets all, all night long, about I can't sit, can't stand, can't can do nothing, have blackouts over. You didn't tell me about the mood swings that I couldn't predict in one minute whether I was going to kill you or me, or the next minute be so happy I never had it so good. Uh, and uh, um, I'll tell you how, how it was with me in those days. We had a kitty cat. One day I went berserk and threw the hairspray can on the floor. It bounced up and broke the window, and the cat jumped out and never came back. <laughs> <laughs> and those little girls didn't have any place to go. I, and he was the first man that had ever been kind to me. He was the first man that had ever been gentle with me. And everywhere that he went, he wanted to take me with him. Me that had always been used to being abused by every man I ever had, for them to be ashamed to be seen with me. And I'd have stayed there forever if I could have. Because I said, I had a, I had a feeling inside of me that said, do anything you want to me, just don't leave me. I couldn't stand the abandonment and the rejection. But I know today that you and I do not come together by accident. I truly believe that we come together by divine appointment. And yet every relationship is beginning and it's parting. The only relationship that keeps on growing and keeps on moving through my soul is a relationship that I hold with my higher power today. But in those days I used to say, do anything, just don't leave me. And I didn't know if I believed, I believed in God. I just didn't trust God, you see. And I trusted this young man. And uh, when he drank again, so did I. It was not my worst drunk. It seemed to be my most hopeless one because I tried Alcoholics Anonymous and it didn't work for me. Things that all, good things that always work for you. 
But I knew that sooner or later, I would be here one more time. And the reason I came back to you, because a man named Carson brought me back. Carson was the type of man that people would talk about. He, they would say things like, he's always uh, preying on young, sober women. I don't know about that. Carson never got out of line for me. I know that Carson brought me back and saved my life. I was so ashamed. I felt that I had let you down, that you had shared so much with me, and I had let you down. And I came back, and the mir miracle for me is not that I came back, because hundreds and thousands of people come back and don't stay. And the miracle for me is that I am still here, you see. And that last December the 22nd, I celebrated my 30th birthday. And that my sobriety date is 12-22-65. And that's a long <laughs> is not mine. It belongs to us. Up until this life, this time, it was my life. The rest has belonged to Alcoholics Anonymous. And I used to think I was such a miracle. I am a miracle. But I am not the miracle. The miracle is Alcoholics Anonymous. That is the miracle. As long as I fulfill the conditions and stay connected to this program through the steps and the traditions, the, the, the tiny little veneer between me and out there are the steps and the traditions. As long as I stay in here, I am part of the miracle of Alcoholics Anonymous. You see, I have been sober long enough to see people that were miracles let go and go back to drinking and what happened to their miracle. So how can I say that I am a miracle? I came here. It helps to come here to drink all the fun out of the bottles. It, come, it helps to come here desperate. My sponsor says there's only one good drunk in every alcoholic, and that's the one that removes all doubt. And you see, that's what happened to me. I went right back to where I stopped before, where the madness was in there, and I couldn't drink, and I couldn't be sober, and I couldn't drink, and I couldn't kill myself, you see. I came back, and you know, you welcome me back. You said, we are so glad you're back. And I'm not a thinker, I'm a feeler. I feel, and I felt your love, and I felt your concern. And you know, it was a step up for me to be called an alcoholic from some of the things I've been called. And in the beginning, they all know more than me, and I love how I felt when I was with you guys. After a while, I can't stand some of you. <laughs> you know, they, they were reading in our area something like what Lamar was saying, was rarely have we seen a person fail. And I knew when they said rarely, somebody wasn't going to make it. And a little further on down it says they are such unfortunate, they are not at fault, they seem to have been born that way. And I thought, I'm screwed, my mother will tell you I was born that way. It talks about rigorous honesty, and I thought, well, well, I'm in trouble now. And you know, my sponsor, I have a sponsor. She wasn't my sponsor until I was uh, 10 years sober, and the reason for that is because God was my sponsor. The group was my sponsor. And she is the reason why I didn't get a sponsor the first 10 years, <laughs> not anybody. Because you see, she talks to me she says profanity is her first language, and I know it is because she uses it all on me. 
And uh, she learned to be a sponsor from from Hitler and Clancy. And Clancy is her sponsor. And I got a little sneaky hunch that even Clancy may be afraid of her. In case you, in case you don't know who she is, I will tell you who she is, first name and last name. It's Mary Reagan. And I'll tell you, when I grow up, I want to be like my sponsor. She talks to me in ways that if I talk that way to the people I sponsor, they never talk to me again, you see. And I just keep coming back. Because, you see, my sponsor loves me. My, I feel safe with my sponsor. But you see, she is my reality check. Just like the meetings of Alcoholics Anonymous are my reality check. Otherwise, it's very easy for me to become a legend in my own mind. <laughs> I'm in no danger of getting well. God makes sure of that. <coughs> First of all, I told you that I always looked up to all them guys, and then I got to the place where I had a slight resentment in one of you guys. I don't know about resentments. When they talk about character defects and resentments, I would think, well, those don't apply to me. Uh, and what it is is that I, I didn't know anything about resentments. I knew about love and hate. Yeah, I didn't know any in-betweens. It's like I had a measuring stick from zero to 100 with no numbers in between. And so when I hated this guy, I didn't have a sponsor because I don't like women just because I'm sober. And I went to some of the guys that looked like they knew what they're talking about, and I'd ask, how do you get over resentments? And they'd say, turn it over easy, does it this, two shuffles, one day at a time, go home, read the book, keep coming back, and don't drink. <laughs> so I went home and did this, and I came back the next night and checked it out, and there he was, and oh! There's a little phase of resentments where it feels so good. <laughs> But then you'd say things like, resentments are the number one offender for the alcoholic, they're fatal. Johnny Harris was my hero. Johnny Harris was the one that inspired the love of alcoholics anonymous inside of me. The, he was the one that said, the, the answers to every problem you will have in life are between the covers of alcoholics anonymous. He's the one that said every woman that comes into alcoholics anonymous automatically becomes a lady and should be treated as such. I didn't hear the part that says, should act as such, but... Uh, <laughs> anyway, I went to... After I would have felt that feeling, I went to another guy. I didn't want to go back to you because you know I was a dummy. So I go to somebody else and they'd say, turn it over, he does it, this too shall pass one day at a time, go home read the book, coming back and don't drink. After a while, I got the message. You don't know the answer either. <laughs> either then... <laughs> Either that or you'll find out there's a fraud among you. And you know, I found out that if you don't, if I don't have an answer, I'll just say, turn it over. I mean, I don't, I don't tell him how to do it because I don't know how to do it either. I found out that if I have a resentment against somebody, I write it down on a piece of paper and put it in my freezer and say, oh, or a problem, I say, I'll think about it next Tuesday. They say, and then somebody asked me, you mean the freezer is your higher power? I said, yeah, it's bigger than me because I can sure turn it over to the freezer. <laughs> Easier than I can turn it to whomever, whom, to whom it may concern. <laughs> and I went on my journey. And one day this man had a, something wrong in his life and he started to cry. And I thought, oh, Jesus, he's crying. How embarrassing. He's crying. Has <laughs> he ever heard of John Wayne, Iwo Jima, Pancho Villa, Miliano Zapata, somebody? <laughs> 
After the meeting, they all went and put their arm around him, and I thought, oh, Jesus. I, didn't, I gave him one of the stiff arm hugs. You know, what, what, I, what I had was uh, kind of bad enough, but I thought what he had was contagious. So. He didn't have any class. He just came right in and started sobbing on my shoulder, and it startled me, you see, because something happened to me. The pain in him reached out and touched the pain in me, as simple as that. Uh, because certainly the likes in you and I have experienced pain. And the love that you had showered upon me somehow turned around and I was able to hold him and care about him. Another thing I found out is that, that my higher power, <coughs> our higher power, got no class. He don't care who, you, who I am. He, those steps will work for anybody. I don't have to believe they work. All I have to do is do them. After it's a, when I look back, I find out, well, I'll be darned. I'll be darned. <laughs> and any character defect that's been removed from me has been in spite of me. I, I used to hear things like, you work on your, on your uh, uh, character defects. I don't know how you are, but I've tried working on my defects. And what they do is they just hang on like leeches. <laughs> my sponsor assures me that if God removes all my character defects, I'll disappear. <laughs> I married that young man knowing one day he'd leave me because I had a lady curse me about that. Because he just because he was 11 years younger, you know. Uh, I mean. I, I always got to be real strong uh, for some reason. I think they call it controlling. And, um, and he, he loved me, and I knew he loved me, and uh, my children got big, and, and we had a home, and, and I, was, I even went to women's tag meetings, and I got a woman sponsor there, but the sponsor sponsor, because I'm going to the head sponsor. And she had to talk to me in, in language I didn't know what she's talking about. And I'd say, yeah, that's right. And, for people that don't know what they're saying, they're talking about, they say, yeah, you're right. And, uh, uh, and the time came when my higher power said, it's time. It's time. You've coasted long enough. And I was five, a little over five years sober. I came home. My, my children were drunk and had been using drugs. And, and I went berserk and I hit them and they hit me back and reminded me of the rotten I, mother I had been. And uh, they ran off. I had one run off to Ohio. I hated my mother only went half a mile, half an hour away. And the other one went to live in a commune and came home one day with a burn the size of a silver dollar in her chest where people had been putting cigarettes out on. And I, I didn't have any strength, you see. All I had was uh, I'd been coming back. But I didn't really have much trust. I never believed in the second step. I knew as a twig is, is bent, so grows the tree. And there's no power so great that'll straighten up that tree once it's bent. But you know, I have come to believe that yes, there is no way to straighten up that tree limb. But if that keeps growing, it gets down to the other side. And where, where, the, where the defect was, there's a new shoot and it's stronger because now it has two trunks. And you see, God has reached out even to the likes of me. And I don't have to believe in God. But he has plans for me. And what happened to me is that that young man went and took me to the psycho ward, went home, I contemplated attempted suicide. The young man went and took me to the psycho ward, went home, packed his clothes, and left me. And everything that ever feared came about me. And the, and the reason I stand up here, I didn't, didn't even enter my mind to drink. I just wanted to die. 
And the reason I stand up here is because of the women in Alcoholics Anonymous at that time that were, they came around me and held me up. And I was uh, uh, not a toast burner, and I got sober in toast burner country. Whatever you think that means, that means that all they did was burn the toast. And I let them toast burner women come around me and share the secrets of their heart with me, and I shared the secrets of my heart with them, and I realized I was not so different. They felt dirty and ashamed just like I did. And maybe it was easier for me because, you see, I didn't have to suck it in for anybody. I didn't have to pretend nothing. And they had to at least perform part of the time because they were, uh, they were still protected women. And it is from the men in Alcoholics Anonymous that came around me that taught me about a lady that I've learned to be a lady. I went to one of you, Ned Dave, and I said, Dave, what is wrong with me that I cannot even hold on to a good man like this one? He put his arm around me and said, you're a beautiful, warm, loving lady, and one day you will know the reason. And I believed him because I had been honest with him. And I went home and got on my knees and I said, okay, God, I know the reason. Bring them back. <laughs> and, they, and they didn't come back. And I thought about them and all I ever wanted was somebody to love me and to be a good mother and to have a home. And, and I thought about them and, didn't, and it wasn't there either. And I said, screw them all and look at the goddamn place. I'm so tired. I know about you, but for me, that means surrender in the only language I understand. <laughs> and I had to move, and so I moved to Orange County where it all started out anyway. And I threw myself, I made peace with my higher power. I said, okay, God, I'm never going to be happy again. All you ever want me to do is work with the sick women drunks and let them puke on me. All right, all right. <laughs> so I moved to Orange County and threw myself completely and absolutely into this program without any reservation. And that is the, that's the only reason that I can walk tall with dignity and self-respect today, because I belong here. And my, you know, after I got to the other side, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a place you have to go through. The part where you, I wanted to put booze in his coffee or get a shotgun about two inches from his belly or run him down on the freeway back and forth like a flat like a tortilla. My sponsor, <laughs> my sponsor assures me they don't lock, lock you up for being crazy, only for acting crazy. And that's when she told me that if God removes all my care for defects, I disappear. And when I got to the other side, I touched the power, and I touched the strength that was way down inside of me. And I knew that nothing and nobody could ever own me again. Because after all that's said and done, there's only you and me, God, anyway. That which I demanded from them people, they never had it to give. You see, the victims say, do it, do it for me, do it for me. Or they're doing it to me, you see. But there was a power inside of me that says, you just keep on keeping on. And I, what I did at that time, I started working with the women. I went to, to recovery houses, and I don't even lie. I don't even, I'm not even sincere. I just do it because they tell me all their sob stories, and I, have li I don't even care, because let me tell you mine, you know. But I, I just do it anyway. And I don't know about your higher power, but mine has a sense of humor. When I want something so bad, oh, God, ten Hail Marys, ten Our Fathers, go to confession and communion, it never happens. As soon as you say, ah, oh, screw it, here it comes, here it comes. <laughs> I acted as if I cared for these lady, ladies, and one day God threw in the joker. I started caring. I didn't even know where that came from. <laughs> and I found out at that time 
that you loving me feels good. But when I care for you, feels exactly the way I thought that you caring for me would feel. You see, I became addicted to that, huh? to feeling good about seeing the lights come on in the people's eyes. And uh, um, I went to work. My children came back. I, I went to school and became self-supporting through my own contributions. <laughs> I kept falling in love and I came to the decision that one day at a time I don't drink because I'm an alcoholic. One day at a time I don't steal because my sponsor won't let me. She <laughs> says it's not right. And uh, one day at a time I don't get married because there ain't life after marriage. I mean, this is a time where I was kissing all these princes, and I did magic on them. I turned them into toads. I don't know. So I thought, you know, I'm just, just better not inflict myself upon those poor guys. So I started saving my money for my old age. <laughs> and uh, um, my children got big, and one got married and made me a grandma. Two weeks before she made me a grandma, my sister, who had always been held up as an example for me, was drinking um, and taking pills and was doing this all the time. And uh, I said, perhaps you're an alcoholic. And she says, oh no, I'm not as bad as you are. And so she chose to take her life and it was my destiny to be the one to find her. And I could not believe what was before my eyes. Death had never touched me this close. And I sunk into a pit. But you see, the last time I had sunk into a pit, I reached, I reached mush in there. But this time, something came together that, saw, that said, inside of me, stronger than strong, God is the only giver and taker of life. She chose to go home, and he let her go home. How many times did I want to die? And I cannot come to save or give anybody anything or teach anybody anything, you see. I am here because I am God's melody of life, and he sings his song through me. He sings the song of recovery, a happy, joyous, and free in Alcoholics Anonymous, to stand up here and tell you from the far corners I come from, and because I am a member of Alcoholics Anonymous, I walked out with dignity and self-respect. Two weeks later, I became a grandma. I never knew how to be a mother, but I'm a good grandma. Man, I never skipped a beat. They, find, they thought Grandma and Santa Claus meant the same thing. <laughs> Two little girls. And uh, I'll tell you, they, they just, it's just too bad they have to get big and become people. I finally found out how to get along with kids. Just give them everything they want. It was around that time that I fell in love again. I was like, oh, Jesus. Here it comes again, them 16-year-old thoughts. And he was with a newcomer. If there's any spiritual giants here, I want you, and it offends you, I'll tell you it offended me because I was a spiritual giant also. <laughs> this guy was so different of anybody I'd ever seen. He was a cowboy farmer. I never knew any people like that. And he had been around Mexicans all his life. He was born and raised in Las Cruces, New Mexico. But he never had met a Mexican like me before. We were in awe of each other. And uh, I was his counselor and I, and I let him go home and he lived in Blythe and I thought I'd never see him again. But he'd call me up and he'd send me flowers. I'm a sucker for all this stuff. And 
And uh, he came over and we went, I took him to a conference one day in God Ventura or Oxnard or someplace. Well, I didn't think anybody would see him with me. I, I, I make sure I pushed him away a little bit. Two weeks ago, he talked. He was up in the table when I was talking, and it was the first time he'd ever seen your reaction when I said this part. And then my friend Frank Sloan was coming over, and I thought I saw him coming toward me. I said, "Oh, shit!" <laughs> Here it comes, and he said. Uh, Angie, is he with you? You know, he sees me trying to go like this. He said, is he one of us? And he know, he sees his, his nose looks like Rudolph. And his head's gone like them little Mexican dogs in back of the Mexican couch. He says, Angie, for God's sake, is, is he? How long has this guy been sober? And I said, said, for God's sake, give this poor guy a break. Let him get sober first. <laughs> that hurt my feelings because I knew it was, it was true. So I went over to my sponsor and I said, Mary. <laughs> <laughs> when I whine, I whine good. I, can, I cannot whine anybody. And she says, Angie, he's a nice guy. She said, if you don't want him, I'll take him. Wow. <laughs> He was not new to Alcoholics Anonymous, he was just new to sobriety. And I knew him. I don't know if you know what, the, what I say when I say I knew him. And you know, on October the 9th, we'll be married 16 years. And, and that's... I'm, I'm the type that had 16 husbands a year. And yeah. So he whispered in my ear and away I went to Blythe. He came with his cattle truck and took all my furniture in. He's a cowboy, what can I tell you? Huh? It was such a fascinating life in Blythe. I had, they were not ready for me. Uh, I didn't know, I had never moved away except to Orange County, which was, they was the same that it was in Pomona. And uh, they weren't ready for me in Blythe. I didn't know you weren't supposed to tell them how to do their meetings. Uh, I know that I, that I would have been a great filibuster that I would just talk nonstop and nobody could ever out-talk me, especially when I think I'm right, and that's like 99% of the time. And uh, so I ran them all off. And my sponsor, I went to my, some lady came up to me, how dare she? She didn't know there was a legend in their, in my, their own mind amongst them. And uh, she, she came over and says, you know, you are so toxic, you're running people out of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I went over to my sponsor to go, 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 go. And she said, Angie, if when people are ready, you can't say anything wrong. And if they're not ready, you can't say anything right. You, it's your turn to stand up for Alcoholics Anonymous. It's your turn to stand up for the principles that have been passed on to you from the old timers that kept the doors open for the likes of you and me. You see, it's your time to get up there and tell them the truth and show them by example what Alcoholics Anonymous is. Because you may be the only copy of the big book that this alcoholics have ever learned or, or read. And you see, and so uh, she gave me the ammunition to go on and, and, and do and stand up for the traditions. And I'll tell you, Blythe has never been a very big AA group, but what we have there is strong.
We don't have any andas there. Or I give them the look, the look that says, you can do it this time. But the next time, I got a little talk I need to do with you. And AA is in good hands. Uh, all the people that, that are in charge of the AA in Blythe, I sponsor. <laughs> I mean, I Blythe is so small that I, if I don't sponsor you, the people I sponsor sponsor you. And I'm your grand sponsor, and you know who that is. The one with the little purple lips. <laughs> I, I tell you, I've been, sponsor, I'm, I've been sober so long, I even sponsor men. I mean, some of those guys are used to being abused by women. So I accommodate them. <laughs> and any re old residue resentment against men that I ever had, they're great at it. That have they handled great. I, I'm just so proud of them. And time marched on, and my daughters uh, started, still kept on where they were going. One of them, the one, the mother of those two little girls, was in Colorado Springs and got sober there. I didn't even know what she was doing. They were, and the, and my, uh, and today, my daughter, last May the twenty-second, celebrated fifteen years of sobriety. And it's, <laughs> and it's wonderful to be friends with your daughters. You see, my other daughter, my other daughter hit bottom and somebody threw her a shovel and she dug a cellar in it. My daughter had to go down to the very dregs of drinking and drugging. And when uh, she came up for air, she weighed 75 pounds and I thought she had AIDS, you see. And when she went back down into the pit, I never thought that I'd see her again. But uh, my prayer was, God, that's your child. I will be up there and carry the message to when, to where I, where you sent me to, because I know you don't have any grandchildren and you don't have any stepkids. <coughs> and the day came when my daughter got sober, and my daughter is as committed and as dedicated to Alcoholics Anonymous because she took him in here desperate, and my daughter has begun to because she's got the gift of gab. I heard somebody say something about that the people up here that are that are speakers are not because we have the best program and I don't think I have the best program. I just got a gift of gab and I can talk nonstop about anything. <laughs> and if I don't have the answers, I'll make up somewhere. I'll go to my sponsor. And, and my daughter has started speaking and, and a few weeks ago I was speaking in San Francisco and she had been there the week before and somebody said, Oh, you sound just like Norma. Oh my gosh, you look just like Norma. And I said, excuse me? She sounds like me and I looks like me. I'm the mother. Actually, I'm her ex-mother. Her present mother is Clara Seldane, which is a great lady. And I said, boy, am I glad you're her mother. I couldn't stand her before. She's, she's great people now. So we're great friends. And I'll tell you what. I don't know the last time my daughters and I had an unkind word to each other. You see, I let them dump all their garbage up on me. I let them dump their anger at the pain in me. Because you see, all their life they thought I had done something to them. And I said, I did. I did it either through, through raising you or through your genes, but I was tired of doing this to you. But I can't give you the recovery. I'm tired of paying for the guilt. The recovery is yours. And you see, there was something that happened to them where they quit being victims, and it was, not, it was good for them 
that they were able to dump the garbage on somebody that they felt was the cause of it. I wish I could tell you that there was a happy ending with my mother because it never was. My mother was from the old country in Mexico and my mother never forgave me no matter how many times I made amends to her. And uh, she always stuck the knife and, uh, and I sometimes in my mo small gentle way stuck it back and so we got along like oil and water. But you see some things that my children are the beneficiaries of that. I am now so old that I am a great grandmother. Do you know how old you have to be to be a great grandmother? I don't know why I'm a great grandmother. With a, a one little boy, got two daughters, two granddaughters, and one little boy. He reached in there and swept everybody else out and got in there. And he hits me. And my husband says, don't let him hit me. I said, ain't he cute? When he's 16, he's going to come and say, hit me and say, give me the money for the drugs, Granny. And I'm going to say, isn't he cute? <laughs> I took my granddaughter to a conference once where I put a big white blouse that covers a multitude of tortillas and beans. And um, she says, Grandma, you look just like the white angel. And I looked at that shiny little face that looked up with me with such love and awe. And I thought, there is nothing that would make her mother look at me like that, you see. She'd never seen the abuse that I, that I gave her mother. She's never experienced it. She's never had to see her grandmother looking like some monster from having been beat up so bad, crawling around in my own field, you see. And if you were a dirty person like I was, in, in a dirty bedroom in Mariloma that lived in madness. I tell, and today to tell you that I walk in the sunny side of the street, that I know what the book says, when it says we will know serenity and we will know peace. I know what my mission in life is, is to fit myself to be of maximum service to God and the people about me, to dedicate anything that I have that I do for to, to my higher power. That's where I pull my marker. Did you see what I did, God? Doing it for you. You see, because when I do it for, for people, I expect them to do something back for me. But when I do it for, for my higher power, I can pull in my marker anytime and say, see there, I did it for you. And it's my heart sings and I walk. I get to walk, be rocketed into a fourth dimension of existence the likes of which I had not even dreamed because he touched me. Thank you so much.